The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Good morning and welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod and we're coming to you live from many different places around mostly Southern California this morning. So thrilled to be here with you on this Wednesday morning. You know, if you watch the show on a regular basis that uh, whenever possible, we have Dr. Doreen Grampichet here with us live on Wednesday mornings. And that when we don't have an opportunity to have her, whenever possible, we have Evelyn Kung join us. Well, this is an Evelyn Kung morning, and we're so excited to welcome her back to the program. It's been like a month, Evelyn, and thrilled to have you back here. Uh, I want to say at the jump here uh, a couple of different things about how to connect, but uh, let's go ahead and introduce Evelyn because she is an amazing clinician who's been in the field for over, what is it, over 30 years now, Evelyn? <laughs> Somewhere around there. <laughs> and it's crazy, um, but crazy good because... Uh, we love having an opportunity to talk to her. And you guys have this whole next hour to be writing in questions to ask Evelyn Kong, a true expert in the field of autism. So let's talk about how you can do that. There are many different platforms that we are on right now. If you are watching us live, you're probably watching us on YouTube, on Periscope, on Twitter, or on Facebook Live. Or you could be watching us on our website, which is now fixed. I'm happy to report. report. Woohoo! <laughs> So um, that's autism-live.com. Now, in any of those formats, you can leave us a question. If you're watching us and we're not live, I would encourage you to leave us questions on autism-live.com. But in our new format, the quickest way to get a question to us when we're live is on YouTube, Periscope, Twitter, or Facebook. They all feed right in here to Command Central and we're able to see them in real time. Like for instance, I'm saying good morning to Ria and I'm saying hello to Johanny who says, ooh, I made it. Hi from Pennsylvania. Uh, I don't know what was slowing you down so that you thought you weren't gonna be here, but I'm glad you're here. We always like it when you're here. So if you would like for us to uh, know that you're here, please write in in whichever format that you're watching us live. Now, many of you don't get the opportunity to watch us live. We still love you. You can still connect with us. And I think the best way to connect with us if you're not watching live is to leave us a comment on autism-live.com. You'll see at the bottom, there's a chat button. That's open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I check it uh, before the shows to see if there's something. And we have questions today from that chat. That's autism-live.com. Now, when you're not watching us live, you might be watching us still on YouTube or, or Facebook or on Periscope or Twitter, or you could be watching us in any of the things in the second column, which is where we podcast to. We are a free download on iTunes. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Ghana, Amazon Music, which is brand spanking new, Google Podcasts, stop, it's so good, <laughs> Deezer, and many, many more. If we are not on your favorite podcast uh, platform, please let us know what that is and we will definitely look into it. We do have some criteria. Our, our thing is, is that we want it to be free for anyone who's watching. And we hope that you will tell us about places where you watch podcasts that are free to you. We like for it to be free for you. We're, we're cresting our 10 year anniversary of being free to you. We do not spend money on marketing or publicity. We count on you to be our grassroots people. If you see something here that you like or that you think somebody can benefit from, there's lots of different ways that you can share and lots of different ways that you can help to support us to keep us on the air and going strong. Subscribe in whatever platform you watch. You can subscribe on 
uh, iTunes so that you get the, the daily uh, podcast. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can subscribe on Facebook. You can like us. You can tweet us. You like, there's so many different things that you can do. I'll tell you some of our hit parade right now that we really love. If you leave us a review on iTunes, that helps us to reach so many more viewers because it bumps us up in the ranking. Even if you don't give us a great review, it bumps us up in the ranking. So if you would like for more people to have access to this, share, like, subscribe, uh, and review. Those are, those are the things, right? Okay, so we've got a bunch of questions that are pouring in, and we have some that uh, that we started from the website. And I want to start with one from the website, and then I promise I will get to you guys. Hi, Leanne. So thrilled to have you here. All right, first question, Evelyn. And by the way, welcome again, and thank you. And tell them, we have it up there, that you are the clinical director. You do so many things at CARD, the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. Um, is there anything you want to say before I hit you with the first question? No, I'm just like, welcome. Thank you for having me. And I'm happy to help. And as you know, Shannon, I, my favorite thing is to problem solve. Yes. And that is the best for me. And I love doing it with the families here. And she's awesome at it, can I just say. Okay, first question that came in on the live feature on Autism Live. Uh, my question, which I've uh, asked to all of our doctors and therapists and remains unanswered is, why is my child talking, reacting, responding with opposites nearly all the time? I have heard of PDA and avoidance of demands, but it is not even about demands. Even if she suggests something, she will change her mind and say the opposite, even though she means the first thing. For example, she will ask to go to the bedroom, but mean the living room and actually walk to the living room while saying bedroom. She knows the right names for each room, but she will get aggressive and make sure you repeat the wrong word and then go. Sometimes even when you do what she wants, even if it's the opposite, she will get mad and drop on the floor and we have meltdowns happening every day. So we're sending some love to that caregiver. Yes. But what do you got in your magic uh, bag of tricks? <laughs> <laughs> well, since I don't know her and I haven't seen her, I can only well, thank that I forgot to give the disclaimer. And it's so nice of you to remind me that while Evelyn is a true expert in the field of autism, there is no expert that could give individual specific advice in this format. Not even Evelyn as fabulous and sparkly as she is. It wouldn't be fair to the individual. So thank yes. you for reminding me that and sorry for interrupting you. Now you can go. No, that, that's an important fact because there's so many things in play. I think in general, you know, we talk about BCBAs coming in and doing um, a functional assessment and really see the functional behavior. I can, by listening to all the different examples you give, there can be a number of things going on. Some of it is related to symptomology of autism, which is um, just being able to have some kind of self-control and sometimes vocal inhibition is difficult. So like if you teach bedroom and kitchen and living room together, the first word that, if they are going to a room, they might just bring up the first word that comes into their brain in that category, you know? So they're like, yeah, I'm going to the kitchen and they're walking into the living room. In their brain, you know, they might be thinking, yeah, I am going to the kitchen. <laughs> or, you know, but it's just that in there, if they have it sorted in some way where it's like all the rooms of the house are in one place, they might just say whatever category that first came in and we there's a lot of things to do for it like teaching them to stop think and then say you know that itself is a lesson that everybody needs to learn and you know just like i need to stop and think and then say it you know it requires a lot of like inhibition and learning how to vocal inhibition so not to just stop talking but to stop think about the word is it the right word it's the right word now i say it um, that's a skill in itself that needs to be learned. But then the other part that you described about like, you know, saying one, and then if you try to correct her, um, where you get the meltdown, it, or, you know, it, that there's a number of things that could be in play. One can be like, this is a consistent interaction between me and you. So I, whatever you say, I'm going to say the other. And that's just the rule I've decided and how I interact with you. Um, or it can also be, just want to be wrong and will and so many of our kids if your world is very black and white 
if you're either right or wrong only, life is really, really hard because you're never getting better. You're either going to get punished because you're failing or um, you're getting rewarded because you're right. And even if like we tell our kids like this, no one is perfect. Everyone mistakes, misspeaks, you know, all of this. If that grade, the language isn't existing for all of that information, in their minds, they were either right or they were wrong. Mm, and that becomes a whole issue in itself about like flexible thinking and flexible thought and flexible language. You know, there's just a lot of things that could be in play in that whole interaction. So first thing would be to be working with a BCBA who's trying to get to the function of the behavior because you're going to be much more effective because each one of those three things that you brought up, you would kind of go at them in a different way. Is that right, Evelyn? Very different. Your teaching for each of those things is very, very different. And it could be multiply controlled or multiple function controlled, meaning in some situation it is because she just wants to be right. And in other situations, it is like, this is how I get your attention. And then there is just the skill acquisition portion of being able to stop and think and then say what you really mean. Yeah, and I'm OCD girl, so I'm gonna throw in there that, um, you know, to expand on what you were saying about, you know, this, this, this ritual that we do, that I say it, you say it, and this is what we do. And even, you know, I know a lot of people don't like the Big Bang Theory, but, um, but many people do, but there's that thing that Sheldon does when he goes to a door, he has to knock three times. And doesn't matter whether it's right or wrong or upsetting somebody or that he knows he's not supposed to, the, the running gag is that he'll find a way to do it because he simply must. Um, and he's a very intelligent guy, knows that in some instances it's not appropriate, but it's a compulsion, uh, you know, and heaven knows I, I have a couple of those. So, um, I, I really want to send hugs to this mom, but say really important to be working with a professional. Having said that, though, you brought up many different things, Evelyn, many different lessons like um, flexible thinking and inhibition and a lot of things that will feed into one of the other questions that we had um, that somebody said, can you post the information about the ABA technician online training? Um, they saw it in a July episode. And so I want to make sure every Wednesday we try to give you guys the message that we get from Skills Global IBT, uh, which are two wonderful tools. And if you want more information about the kinds of things that Evelyn was just talking about, there are two tools, Skills and IBT. IBT stands for Institute for Behavioral Training. It's a online service that sells these wonderful modules, um, e-learning modules for you to learn all kinds of things. And they sell them uh, and they're very inexpensive, like wildly inexpensive. Um, and I think they start at $7 and 50 cents. So um, very affordable, but they are giving away free stuff. And I always try to let you know every week what the free stuff for the week is. So, and there are three different categories on IBT. There's for professionals. Um, so they can get continuing education credits. Um, there's for teachers so that they can learn about how to be effective with autism in the classroom. And then there are trainings for caregivers, for parents um, that have significantly less jargon in them. But here's my favorite thing about it is they don't say to you, well, you can't get the expert ones unless you already have a degree. If you're a parent and you start out with the parent ones and you go, hey, I'd like to know the ones in the teacher category so that I can be more effective talking to my teacher. You hop right in there, you go right ahead. And if you decide you wanna learn the things in the expert category and, and you're willing to wade through the jargon, you're allowed to be able to go in and purchase those. Now, the free things for this week, um, they said this week for our ABA parents and guardians, we will continue to offer our free IBT parent e-learning course, Parent Getting Started. So how to start ABA, which is really cool. For the educator community, if we have teachers that are out there, we will continue to offer our IBT educator e-learning module, educator teaching communication. Woo, guys, like, um, and, and they're saying they're making it available to teachers at no charge. Tell your child's teacher about this this week. It's only each week, it's a different thing. Um, they're continuing to offer the RBT 2.0 training course, what the person was writing in on. 
Um, that's a 40 hour course that um, technicians take on their way to getting their RBT, which is a registered behavior technician certification. They're offering it to parents for free on a case by case basis. So you have to call them and I'm gonna give you the phone number here in just a second and tell them um, why you want it and, and that you're gonna do it. Cause a lot of times they don't wanna give a 40 hour course to people who just wanna take one class, right? They want you to commit to do the full 40 hours. Believe me, it's worth it. And then in addition to that, they're offering 10% uh, discount on all skills products to anyone that calls and says you saw it on Autism Live say that, say I'm friends, friends and family with Shannon. I want the friends and family Shannon discount. So you're ready for the phone number, you guys? It's 877-975-4559. Again, that's 877-975-4559. And I'm not on that screen, but if I know Traven, he's got it on the screen. Um, and he does because he's like that. Uh, sorry that I took so much time with that, but I vote that we go now to some questions that have come in on our chat. So um, somebody wants so, to know, I'm, oh, oh, go ahead, just, Ellen. Sorry, um, just somebody just asked, since you just gave information for autism um, for the IBT, somebody asked how they can get skills too. Yeah, so skills and you, there's no better person to be on this show to talk about skills. Do you want to take a second and tell them what skills is? Okay, so skills is the curriculum we use at CARD. There's two versions. There's um, skills and then there's a skills for life, which is for our older teens and adults. And basically, it's a curriculum that parents can go in, take an assessment on their child, and just go in and through uh, from the results of assessments of what the um, child doesn't have, they can go in and see different lessons and activities that they can go in and you know do on their own or just look and get ideas about what's needed for all you know different categories. There's eight curriculum areas in the skills, the basic skills um, curriculum, and it covers just a multitude of everything that you'd need to know in, in terms of child development. <laughs> Wonderful. And so the way you would get that is that same phone number, or you could go online and go to skillsforautism.com. I'm a ginormous fan of skills. I will tell you that it's the kind of thing, like a lot of things that are out there now, um, you, you can go in, I always say it's like a big shopping mall or Disneyland, right? And if you go in expecting to be an expert in one day on everything in Disneyland, or even expecting to get to all of the rides in Disneyland in one day, you're gonna leave not having had a good time and feeling very frustrated and like you failed. So I encourage you to like, before you go into skills, have an idea of what would I like? Would I like to know, for instance, where my child is exactly at? Cause you can do that, you take the assessment. Um, do I, am I going in and I need help with the IEP? That's a very different experience, but it will help you with your IEP. Are you going in because there's like one behavior that is really kicking your keister and you need to get control of that behavior? That's an entirely different portion of skills that we can help you to sort out. So I think, you know, know what you want on day one, get comfortable with that, use that because that'll be life-changing for you. And then ask, okay, what else can this puppy do? Because it can do a lot. But don't have the expectation of going in, you know, and expecting that you're going to hit all of it in one day or that you need to be able to know how to hit all of it in one day. It's unrealistic. It's a brilliant yeah. tool, does a lot. Don't try to use all of it at the same time. Yes. Is my advice. Yeah, um, anything you want to add to that, Evelyn? No. Just don't get overwhelmed by it. Just figure out what you need to know and you can just go to that area and think, you know, this might be helpful. This is open to both BCBAs and to families, you know, or schools. So there's just all, anybody can access it, go in, find what they want. There's a lot of more explanation about, you know, what each thing is. Maybe there's some area that you never thought of. You know, so and do understand that it's a subscription base, um, that there is a monthly cost um, to belong to skills and to keep your account. It's, you know, I think it's wildly um, inexpensive, but for but I remember a time when it was too expensive for me. Do not feel bad about that. Uh, we've offered you a 10 percent discount. But if you if it's really cost prohibitive, make sure that you talk to them about it. And there are some grants available for families if they're really motivated to use it. 
um, and reach out to me so that I can tell you where to apply for those grants. Okay, so uh, I have a question. I was doing ABA. He gained language and his receptive language is very good. He is engaging in solitary play all the time. At the moment, I've switched to intensive interaction. And then I'm... Uh, and then they were the ones who asked for um, the skills curriculum. I guess that was just the question. All right. If there's more to that question, let me know. Uh, they, another person says, Evelyn, after pressing my BCBA for hours, I found out that we have 10 more hours not being used. Can we use it for support with dance, Cub Scouts, et cetera? What out of center can we use it for? To figure out what kind of funding you have. You know, is it 10 hours of school funded or is it 10 hours of health insurance or is it 10 hours of, you know, DDS funding, whatever it may be. So there are those guidelines. But for them, yes, because all of those settings are places to be social and places to generalize skills. So like Cub Scouts is a great place because Cub Scouts is a smaller group of boys usually, and it's usually around the same age. And every week is a different activity. And sometimes that is overwhelming for our kids because they like structure and going in every week and or every month and having just a different um, activity sometimes is very difficult. But we've had lots of our staff go with the kids into these communities into these um, community activities and work on the social interaction, work on following instructions, work on just imitation of skills of the people that they're with. There is a lot you can do in any of these settings. You know, What you don't want to do is put them in a setting that's gonna be totally overwhelmed or where your, your um, therapist can't do anything because it disrupts you know, what's going on. But there's a ton of things that you can definitely do in every one of those activities. I've done dance, I've done music lessons, I've done baseball and soccer, <laughs> karate, and you know, everything else. Um, just, you know, they the therapist who goes along is really just facilitating communication and facilitating skills that are gonna are, that they've learned in the one to one one setting and then just need to generalize to these other settings. And I think it's a great way to use those 10 hours. Yeah, I, you know me, I'm the biggest fan of this about taking, giving your, I call it giving your program legs and taking it out into the community. I realize it's harder with COVID than it's ever been before, but, you know, we took therapists everywhere with us. Um, and, and I know, I love me some BCBAs, right? I think I am BCBAs in general, their biggest fan. But I also recognize that as a group of people, they don't all think alike, and some of them are very in the box thinkers. And they're very, they're very rule following, which is great in some respects. But if they get in the box and they're following the rules in the box, sometimes we just have to remind them that there's more than one way to do something. And I, I have heard BCBAs say, well, you know, we can't go out into the community unless you have specific programs that are written for um, being in the community. And while there is a grain of truth to, to that, if I'm teaching you how to count, I can teach you how to count in the living room and I can teach you how to count in the front yard and I can teach you how to count in the car and I can teach you how to count at a birthday party. Um, you know what I mean? Like I, I challenge all BCBAs out there to look at the programs and go, could I, could I only teach this in the, in the setting in which we've scheduled the appointment? And I think you'll find that a, you can teach it almost anywhere. And that B, if you're following your, your rules for trying to have it happen in different settings for general, generalization, then you probably should. Am I wrong, Evelyn? No, as a BT, my favorite place to generalize counting was the grocery store. Right, right. <laughs> you can, any shopping place, you can count everything. You can count peaches and oranges and cans of things and bottles and clothing items and, you know, Every, any kind of um, business in terms of store, you know, buying, you can count a, a thousand things. You can practice colors. You can practice shapes, shapes, sizes. And sizes is great because sizes change depend on what is present. Mm -hmm. what, you know, in one setting may not be big in another setting. And there's a, so much generalization and flexibility. And if you have a BC, I've heard BCBA say that, you know, or the health insurance companies say that they cannot do, um, uh, they can't go to certain locations. It, in health insurance law, they cannot um, 
uh, they cannot confine you to certain settings because if you have diabetes, you should be able to have your insulin in any setting, not just setting. And that's really where all the mental health parity comes from is if you access, especially for autism where, you know, overgeneralization or lack of generalization is an actual symptom of autism. So yeah. really matters. We really need to get Julie Kornack back on here to give her little uh, war dance talk about uh, mental health parity, because there literally are federal laws that supersede state laws, you guys, that say that some of this mumbo jumbo that they say, oh, sorry, you know, your child can't have therapy past the age of eight because our mandate doesn't cover it, or things like, oh, no, you know, you can't, you can't, you can't do it here. Just like Evelyn was saying, no, if you can give your insulin there, then you can do therapy there. So uh, we'll have to invite Julie Kornack to come because she is, you know, the person that has the expertise. wealth of knowledge. <laughs> Just like crazy good knowledge. Okay, uh, moving on. So my question is, how old uh, does a child need to be to start using the restroom in the white, right way? And my question is, how can we get our children to understand that pooping in the potty is a good thing? <laughs> well, first of all, I just laugh at the definition of good. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> like, you know, it's, there's different times in our lives where, you know, you can change the definition of good. And I think it's more, if you want to go along the autism realm, you would have to say this is the rule. And that the kids are, they, they follow along much more easily to the idea of this is what you're supposed to do than this is what's good for you. Mm. Well, maybe that's true of all of us, maybe. <laughs> right? so, um, there, so there's some rule governing that you can take advantage of because our kids like rules, um, whether they can talk about it or not. They like that this is the one thing you're supposed to do. And um, you can take advantage of that for all your adaptive skills. This is how you brush your teeth. This is how you wash your hands. And if you give them that one rule, that's what matters. But I also understand that in toilet training, lots of kids, initially they do poop in their diaper. And maybe that's the rule that now needs to change. And that's what, that is really what the difficult part is, is they've made that rule that they only poop in their diaper in that corner, then um, breaking that rule is the hard part and teaching them what the new rule is about, you know, pooping in the potty. So, you know, and it's the same way about, I don't exactly know what the right way of toileting is. Sometimes it's um, like, boys, do I stand up or do I sit down? You know, that's the question. It really depends, but I always say, when that's appropriate is really up to the family because it's the family, this child lives in that family and has to function within the rules of that family or the culture of that family. And um, it is something that you decide with, you know, as parents, like, when is it time? Of course, you need to make sure they're ready, right? Do they have the um, coordination sometimes to teach boys how to keep their pants on and stand up and go potty, you know, <laughs> pee in the toilet? Yeah. Coordination issue more than the actual rule can they motor, you know, through that aspect? And it might need a lot of practice and getting those motor to a level of fluency level, you know, for those motor skills before they can actually make it a rule that this is how you go to, you know, this is how you pee in the body. And so really, I just say like, is it right? It's up to the family to decide when it's right. But really the, the question I would say is, do they have the skills to do it? And first, initially for toilet training, it is the motor skills of how to co the coordination aspect of how to do these things. And um, and then it's like if it's this is the rule, then you start. You can work with your BCBA on how you know you can put your child on a um, a toileting routine, or you know if he has lots of grapes, he's gonna poop in an hour. Use knowledge <laughs> and say, here, have some grapes and then have them go sit on the toilet. <laughs> you know, right. you know what's going to happen in the hour. And, you know, you can really take advantage of some of that knowledge that you have about your child because you guys are the parents and you're the experts. You know, yeah. you're, you know, what, you know, how your, the, your child's body functions. And um, there are a lot of BCBAs who can give you some instruction or direction about recognizing, you know, what the antecedents are or when the best timing is or, um, you know, are they able to do this? And 
So talk to it with your BCBA, but if you don't have a BCBA, start looking through all of those factors. You know, he follows instructions well, so maybe this is a new rule that we're gonna um, implement. And if you know that he, you know, he does use, uh, he does have a bowel movement after he has, you know, those bowl of grapes, then, you know, time it <laughs> so that you're able to be near, a you know, a toilet during that time. Um, if, you know, your family really wants him to be standing up or sitting down or, you know, whatever way to use the toilet that way, then it's just, you can show him if he's good about imitation, he can model, you know, dad or whoever it is too. And, you know, use those skills, those strengths that we teach our kids. You know, back to that question about being, um, how do you teach play? I would say like imitation. You, imitation, the kid has to know how to use their body, how to use toys, and then imitation at a fluent level where it's easy before you bring it into a social setting. And it's the same thing for all those adaptive skills. Imitation, once it becomes easy enough, our kids will rely on imitation just like a typical child does. And it, that can work for all of those adaptive skills really well. There you go. We've had a lot of people over the years write in, and I know um, my experience with my son, um, card like got us potty training in one weekend. Um, it was just amazing. We had to do the upkeep on it and it took, I would say it took us maybe a month before we had it solid. And, and it was as much me having it solid because I had to be on a timer in terms of the pee in the potty. Um, but a lot of what card uses is the Fox and Azrin, which is part of what Evelyn was talking about. And you can look that up for the pee in the potty, but the poop was harder. The poop was just harder. And I got to say, like, you know, uh, every kid is different. But I know from for a lot of people have written in and my kid was this way that there was something about that this part of him was leaving his body and it was going to go into this water place and, and it was visible. It was a part of him and it was going to be flushed away it was traumatic for him. And, you know, there were lots of things that had to be worked on in terms of that. And for a while he had to do it in a, you know, one of the little um, toilet seats that's separate that has the little slide out tray so that it didn't go into the water. And then we would deal with, we take it and we flush it there to sort of bridge the gap. But the thing that ultimately did it, you guys, which is the thing we always get back to here on the show is that the reinforcer wasn't there. He didn't have a reinforcer for for the poop leaving his body in the toilet and going away. Card told us back in the day when there were toy stores, um, they said, take him to this toy store, shop for an hour, wait, you know, put things in the cart, wait until he finds the thing he can't live without. And that was these canisters of Lego nights. <laughs> and we put the Lego night up on the toilet, the, the towel bar opposite the toilet. And we said, that's the Lego night. And you can have him to play with as soon as you poop in the potty. He got up on that potty and like, was like, ah, <laughs> not to get too graphic. He was like, oh, how do I, how quickly can I get this out of my body? And then he would get the Lego night for the rest of the day. He would go to bed at night. We would take all of the pieces to the Lego night. It would go back in the canister. And we'd stick it back up on the, on the towel bar. And in the morning he would reach for it. We would say, sorry, you don't get the Lego night until you poop in the potty. And he would poop in the potty and he would get it. Now, eventually we had to go buy new Lego nights because it started, the reinforcer was like, I've played with that, right? Satiation. But um, that, man, that did it. That was him. Every child is different. But having a reinforcer, let's remember, what's in it for them? You know, why, you're all excited about me pooping in the potty, but what's in it for me, right, Evelyn? It all comes down to what's in it for me. And it can be anything. I have a kid who likes cause and effect toys or a ton of kids that like cause and effect. And flushing the toilet when the, to see the poop go away is a huge reinforcer for so many kids. And that's so right? simple. Like it's just such, it's so simple. It's like a cause and effect toy and you don't want them continually flushing. But if they can do that every time they have control of having a bowel movement to do it, it's a big deal. And you can make it a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, okay. We've got this big conversation that's happening on Facebook. Somebody wrote in and said, please, what can I do to stop my 13 year old boy with autism to stop laughing incessantly, unnecessarily. And people have been writing in and saying it's, it might be yeast and how do we treat yeast? And 
And that's, I mean, that would be my first guess, but um, you're the expert, uh, Evelyn. Do you have anything else that we should be looking at besides yeast? Well, from the very behavior analytical way, I actually take data. When is he laughing? Where mm -hmm. is he? Who is there? What, how do people respond to him? <laughs> mm -hmm. And just over days, every time it happens, you just jot down, where are we? What was he doing? Who was there? What did we say to him? And you kind of take the ABC data, you know, and you see some patterns. Because yes, it might be yeast. We've had lots of kids who laugh from yeast, but a lot of times there are really specific interactions too that happen. And it could be like what we talked about earlier about um, just if I do this, you respond a certain way. So I'm going to do this more because if I start laughing, you say this to me. And yeah. it's amazing how that interaction can turn into a routine, can turn into something that happens a lot, especially for so many of our kids. They do like people, you know, they just don't know how to interact with them. And so if they can create a way such as like, if I laugh, you will say something to me. I'm going to keep laughing because that's how I get you to interact. I don't have to think about words to say it's not this whole process of how, you know, just of finding those words, or maybe they don't have words to say. And it's very simple and it's usually pretty pleasant because if you laugh, people aren't gonna scold you for it usually. People yeah. usually are pretty friendly about it. And so it, it can start off with yeast and then stay around just because it becomes a form of interaction. And then it turns into a habit. And then right. the habit or maybe that what like what you were talking about, like the compulsive, like I need to laugh now because now they've discovered something feels good in them when they laugh. Mm -hmm. So there can be many stages of this laughter. Um, and you really just, you take data first from the behavior analyst point of view, you take data, see when it happens. Are there any, um, you know, routines that you see, any patterns that you're finding? A lot of times you can find a lot of patterns. And then let's say, if, if it is yeast, what I figure out is it's, I start taking data on what they've been eating, mm -hmm. what medications they've been on. Because, you know, like I used to walk into one of my kids who anytime he had sugar, it would set off the yeast and you could see the little bumps on his face, you know, just tiny little ones, not big. And then they would go away. So parents just never really looked at it. He'd get a little red and I'd walk in and there'd be, be flaming. And I just look at the mom and said, has he had grapes today? <laughs> She'd be like, oh yeah, he just had a whole big bowl. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There it is. <laughs> so yeah, you know, for the next three hours. Yeah, uh, and, and we will see that. I mean, you know, it is, I think it's good to take the ABC data always, which is looking at the behavior saying what happened right before and what happened right afterwards because you will start to see patterns and to include in that what your child has been eating, if you're getting that kind of a reaction. Because some of our kids are very, sometimes it's yeast and sometimes it's other things that they're just food reactive to something. Other kids have the opposite reaction where they become mean and angry and have tantrums. But some of our kids, it flips and they, they laugh hysterically. I used to call my son the drunken elf that he would act like he'd been drinking and he would laugh. And at first I thought it was cute, but then when he couldn't learn the alphabet because he was so busy laughing, it wasn't as cute, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, but there's the behavior side of it. And I'm so glad that you brought that up because somebody brought up that mine laughs too because the mad face mom makes is too darn funny. Even my neurotypical kid does this too. I always say, we don't realize it, but we are really good theater. As parents, like we don't know we, uh, because we're busy being in ourselves, but sometimes our reaction to stuff is really good theater, um, <laughs> right? And the kids are like, well, I, you know, I don't have control of the remote control, but I, but I know that I can set mom off and, and that staves away the boredom. So let me do this and that'll set her off and that'll be good. Uh, yeah. And and even that whole, like with the neurotypical laughing, she gets mad at if, if you're mad and the kid does something sweet or laughs, it kind of diffuses the situation. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a very like good coping methodology also for like that neurotypical kid. So maybe your kid with ASD has also figured that out, that she might have this really mad face 
But then if you start laughing, she like mellows out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just, you know, can continue. And so, you know, you know, there's a lot of social interaction that happens. It's just that with our AFC kids, it's trying to figure out, they can't tell you. And the goal really all the time is like, can they tell you what's going on? And, you know, I'm always telling families, like even if your kid's really vocal, can your child really tell you what's going on in their head? You know, all those private events going on in your body. Um, because if they can't tell you that, there's still some language that needs to be taught. And since we brought up diet, somebody said, are there diets available online for us to refer to? And we've done a lot of shows. You can go to our website, autism-live.com and put diet in and see what comes up. But I got to tell you the best, most comprehensive place where you're going to find information about diets for autism, including yeast, reducing yeast, go over to takanow.org. That's T-A-C-A N-O-W, T-A-C-A-N-O-W.org. This month in October, they're in the middle of their month-long virtual conference where every day they're having experts that are talking about diet and biomedical. Um, I don't know if they have a, a late join uh, price that's lower. The, the price to join on the first day was $50 for the whole month. Um, but, but I would check it out, you guys. Uh, I've been trying every day to get over to the conference, and I, it's been so crazy busy. I haven't had time, but I want to. It's on my list of things to do. But they have more information about diet. It's a parent organization, T-A-C-A-Now.org. That stands for the Autism Community in Action. So um, check that out. Okay. I know we have a, a parent that has written in more than once this morning, and, and I can't have her mad at me. Um, she wants to know about, and now I've lost it in the crawl here, but I, she wants to know about auditory processing. Uh, let me find it. What therapies are out there for aud auditory processing disorder? Oh, this is, yeah. I've been around this in the field long enough where we're in its second or third wave every 10 years. I feel like it kind of comes through again. There definitely many of our children have auditory processing delays and your speech therapist can usually um, give some testing to see like what type of delays you have. Um, the, the standardization on some of those tests are sometimes, you know, questionable, but I think they've been really helpful for me. When I used to give testing, I used to do like, um, one of them was like, I think the Goldman Fristow Woodcock um, test of auditory processing or test of auditory discrimination. And it's a really interesting one because there's these pictures, you say a word, and they're supposed to point to the picture. And so you can get a baseline of what they know. And then you turn on noise. Same vocabulary. And by what the kids miss from the noise, you can tell what sounds they're not processing at that, that level. So I can tell a kid, oh, you don't hear any of the voiceless sounds like puh or ha. So when those sounds are missing, our kids have a hard time, they're listening to you talk, but only those sounds are missing. So then it's not that they don't understand the words you said, they don't only hear and process um, these words with missing sounds. And then for anybody that takes a while, right? Whenever there's a lot of noise in the environment and you have to sit there and I'll have a delay, like I'll hear something and then I'll, there'll be this processing. I'll be like, oh, this is what you said, you know? And that's essentially like what happens to a lot of our kids. And for some of our kids, it's sound. And for some of the kids, it's the type of noise in the environment that makes them not hear everything um, or process what they're hearing. And, you know, it's your speech therapist can usually give you like the diagnosis and can tell you what sound, what's missing. And then as for therapies, there, I've seen different versions come through through the years. And there, I have just in my experience, I haven't seen anything that's been reliable for everyone. Okay, and they're wanting to know what test and does CARD run that test? We don't do it now, but your speech speech therapist should be able to do this. It's, what is the test? There's a couple of different ones. Um, there's the test of auditor processing. It's called TAPS, but there's a lot of different versions of them, and. Um, I think that if you, you know, have a speech, local speech therapist, 
who you can just call and ask, like, do you do any types of auditory processing um, assessments? Because I'm really interested in seeing, like, what is my child, you know, what are they hearing? What's getting processed? What's the delay? And, you know, I right now I can't tell you, like, the recommendation for therapy because it just has varied. We've had a lot of different um, results from families. Some have tried it and there's been and they've spent a lot of money and they nothing has happened. And then there are some who have tried it and it's been amazing. But maybe and then there's some have tried it who feel like they need to upkeep it. Right. Mm -hmm. so where they feel like um, as long as they keep practicing, they you know, there was something years ago called like aerobics. And um, I had a mom who actually a couple of parents who swore that if they just kept uh, it playing in the background, like at least once a week, their child's, um, it just seemed like their child processed questions and words much better. Um, so they felt like there was a maintenance aspect to it. But, you know, this is something that, you know, you should look at speech therapists because there are speech therapists who specialize in this area. And that would be, you know, to go to them. And what the way to work with it with an ABA program is to have the speech therapist do these and share the results with your BCBA. So that they can talk about like what, you know, what the child is hearing and processing at um, a normal speed and what is not and what's delayed and then trying to figure out like how can we practice, you know, these words or these methods or I've had kids who have auditory processing, but maybe they're hyperlexic, which means basically they can cite read words without ever having been taught. And then we use the hyperlexia to supplement so that when we're in school with the kids in their IEP, it says that all instructions need to be written so that you have those accommodations of those modifications made. And it is surpassed going, um, you're not having to rely on vocal instructions but you're using the strength that they have so that you, especially if you know that they are having some auditory processing delays. So there's other methods of communication and other accommodations that schools and people will make if your child has another method to um, replace, you know, vocal instructions. And the written instructions is pretty easy to do for schools. You know, your teacher might fuss about it, but in reality, if everything is written down, a lot of our kids have also a lot of executive function issues too. So maybe they heard it, but now they don't know where they put it, you know? So, you know, and they wrote it down, but they don't know where they wrote it down. And so if all of their, their work always comes with written instructions, you're kind of hitting two, you know, two things at the same time. Okay, we're getting a lot of questions and we're running out of time, but I do want to say that some of the therapies that um, Evelyn was talking about that, you know, it's sort of some people have a big result and some people don't and they're very expensive. You can look up Tomatis, Moralt, and AIT, Auditory Integrative Therapy. They they can be very expensive. I know this question came up a couple of weeks ago and I, I, I looked back into AIT and um, it, it's the cost of getting yourself trained and buying the equipment so that you can be an AIT provider is about the same as getting your child treated. Um, so that's how expensive it is. Um, but if you're interested in it, they, you know, there are people who've had big results with this and other people who have spent thousands of dollars and said, I'm not really sure why we spent those thousands of dollars. So, um, and I will tell you one of my favorite things, Evelyn, there's the whole section in skills. It's in the academic curriculum and the language uh, curriculum of the academic curriculum that's all about phonemic awareness. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it's lessons to teach your child to distinguish between vowel sounds because a lot of people, that's what the processing delay is, is having to think through, process it and go, I hear that sound. What was that sound? What is that word? And by the time they get there, they've missed something else. Um, I, I think it's one of the coolest things that there ever was the phonemic awareness section in skills and, and nobody talks about it, but me, I know that's an exaggeration, but I think it's brilliant. And before you go and spend thousands of dollars, I would take a tour of that section of skills, infinitely less expensive for you and see if that gets it done for you. Oh, that um, makes me feel so good because that section was so, we actually took that from Common Core. It's we had, to, we had to put all the curriculum into Common Core compliance. 
And so we went and we took everything that Common Core expected, and that's how we wrote all those lessons. So I'm really happy to hear that because that was a lot of work. <laughs> I I have written about it. I think it's one of the biggest, you know, gold nuggets hidden in skills um, as a teacher. Because I, I always get offended. Now, I don't teach anymore in a classroom, but I will go into a classroom to do a project with kids. I haven't done even that in a couple of years, but I used to do it all the time. I would go in and direct a play uh, every year with different classrooms of kids. And it would madden me because I would see one kid in the classroom that the teacher would say to me, oh, that kid's a problem. And of course, I hate that when they just label a kid a problem, right? And I would, and after I'd be in the classroom for two days, and I would be like, "Oh, I know what this kid's problem is," because you would see that if you asked them to do something, they wouldn't do it immediately, but they would do it later, right? It would take them just so much longer. And because I'm an autism mom, a mom of an individual on the autism spectrum, trying to say that that way, um, I knew to give the instruction and wait and not keep giving the instruction. I need to wait and that that kid would then be able to do it. And, and I would bring it up to the teacher and go, that kid's not a problem kid. That kid is processing. They need time to hear it, put it through this whole machine in their brain and then know what's happening. Give them a little bit more time. Uh, you know. And then I would turn them on to the, the skills thing. I think it's amazing. It's in the Again, skillsforautism.com. It's in the academic curriculum under the language section, phonemic awareness. Check it out. It's a pretty fabulous thing. Okay, we got to uh, shove some questions here. A lot of questions about language, um, starting with a question that came in from somebody in the UK that they want to know what part of the brain deals with communication. I have an autistic son, four years old, nonverbal, looking for ways to help him communicate verbally. We also had somebody who said, why can my child speak, but we're not getting to conversation? <laughs> that question a lot. Yeah. I, I don't know about the part of the brain, but I do know that in the, for kids on the ASD spectrum, if you're working on just like how to get them to speak, there's the motor aspect, right? There's that one aspect of whenever I get a nonverbal child in, I always ask, what do they eat? Because I just want to know if they chew. Coordination to chew, and do they use their whole mouth, or do they always only use the right side and not left side? Because people don't think about eating as an exercise for all their oral muscle, and so many of our kids do come in and only eat yogurt or things that dissolve in their mouth, like chips and crackers. So they never actually really learn how to use their mouth. And then there's the whole group of kids that come in that have the tactile sensitivities within their mouth, and that's really like the first place I look at. And then let's say your child makes tons of noises and babbles and can even imitate and echo words, but won't talk. Then that's a different situation. You know, then you know all the mechanics are there. So now let's teach him. And what's the best way? You have to motivate him in order to be in those first words are all things that the kids want. All those men's, you know, whether it's movie or chip or, you know, juice, whatever it may be, it's starting from the need based of what they want. And it's not so much the linguistic way of teaching where it's like, can you make this sound to make this word, to put it together, to form this word that one day you will use, but you're not using now. <laughs> you know, it's like really initially, it's like really, what does that child really, really want? And, and then does he make a, the sounds that, you know, will work? And initially you might have to be flexible because if you want him to say juice, but he doesn't have the j sound, then you're gonna figure out, oh, but you he has the w sound, so then maybe we'll just start with water and just start with wa, you know, like so it's like you have to kind of think about like what mechanics are available, what do they really want? And then that's what the combination will put together the word, those first words for those mans and those requests. But if you're getting into like, why are they talking and being able to expressly say words is very different from conversation because conversation, it moves into a pragmatic understanding. It moves into the social understanding of the give and take of language. And initially we want our kids to communicate. Like if I ask for water, you're gonna give me water and understand, oh, it's, this is the communication. And for our, our um, people who are nonverbal, 
that's one of the first steps is like when they manage, do they understand that they need to grab their iPad or they need to grab those icons? And if I give it to you, you're gonna respond to me and understand that back and forth communication aspect. And then if you take it farther than that into conversation, there has to be a want and need back and forth. You know, there needs to be some kind of desire to share that there is some understanding that if I say something, you will say something back that I really, either it's knowledge because I love Thomas the Train and you just told me the name of a new Thomas Train I didn't know about, or if it's, you know, for our, for our older kids, the, you know, they'll have conversations about politics because they love politics, but they're not so interested in the chit chat of every day of like, how are you? What's going on today? The very social, very, um, the, that information. There's a lot of other in, uh, skills that need to be put in to conversation that are not just speaking. There's the idea of like other people, perspective taking, other people think differently than me. So be, just because I'm thinking one thing doesn't mean that person's gonna be thinking the same thing or have the same opinion or um, have this only the facts that I know they know. And so there's like the whole cognitive cognition aspect of understanding somebody else has a different perspective than you. Um, and you know, if you understand that somebody else has a different perspective and you know that you don't know everything they know, but you have all these interests, you're gonna start asking questions. Draw that information out for a topic that you're interested in. And that provides the motivation to have that back and forth exchange. And it might not happen on every topic, but that's all of us, right? Yeah. You know, if you start talking to me about some philosophical aspect of life, I may not be in the mood for this right now. <laughs> and yeah. I ask very few questions. But if you get, if you find another person who loves philosophy and loves debating, you know, the meaning of life, they can have a thousand exchanges with you and be very engaged. And, you know, so it just depends on who you're talking to, when you're talking to them. And then it's teaching our kids that other people have things in them that they want, you know, and it's knowledge-based or information-based versus just the simple exchange of I need water or, you know, I want to go outside or I want, we need to go to McDonald's or whatever it is where it's need-based. And there's just a lot of difference. And I'm giving this kind of general arc of, you know, learning and talking because I know our kids fall across the whole spectrum. And yeah. I'm to give everybody an idea of, you know, where maybe where your child might be. And we're just about out of time, but I just want to throw my two cents in there that, you know, if you want your child to speak and be conversational, I, you know, I think thing one is you got to be getting good ABA. Like a speech therapist is going to be very helpful for sound production and articulation and, and all of that. But you, speech is so intensive. You're not going to get that from a speech therapist. The speech therapist is not going to give you 40 hours a week. It's just not going to happen, right? Whereas ABA, you might be able to get 40 hours a week depending on the child. And that, it takes a lot of time, right? And then I always say to parents, because we are the most impatient people and we want language and we want language now. We would like it all now, please. So I say the three Ps, patience, positivity, and persistence. You got to have all three of those. You got to be positive that you're going in the right direction. And if you're doing ABA intensively with a good company, then you are. So now you have to be patient and not expect it to all come today. For neurotypical kids, it takes years to learn how to talk and years to get to the point of conversation. Your, your child with autism is not going to get it overnight, but you want to keep moving in incrementally. So you have to be persistent. You got to hammer, 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 and keep moving your goals. So if you're if your child can say ja right now, yippee skippy. But then you're gonna get them to say ja ooh, ja oos. I want you. Eventually say juice, more juice, want juice. I want more juice. I want more juice, please. And then you can go into other things, right? But that takes time, y'all, and that takes persistence. You got to keep on keeping on. But you know what? If you keep on keeping on, you're going to see progress. If you're not seeing progress and you're talking to your experts, then they'll move to assistive technology and you'll apply the same thing to the assistive technology while still doing 
all the things that you were doing to get to the vocal language. And that's what the deal is. And you just, you got to hammer that sucker every single day, every single moment of every single day. You have to, everything your child wants, they have to be asking for it, right? That's what it takes. Patience, persistence, positivity. You keep doing that. I don't know a single individual that has language that somebody didn't do that with them. The three Ps. I'm all about the three Ps. We didn't get to even half the questions. I'm so sorry. I talked too much. I apologize for my existence. But how fabulous is Evelyn? We thank Evelyn so much for being here. Tomorrow, we're doing a very special show where we're just talking about the fall of 2020. There are are a specific set of things that it's unlike any other time in the history of mankind and how we are managing the new playing field, all of us. We welcome your questions and uh, we've got some pretty exciting things for you tomorrow. And then on Friday, we have Vince Redman, licensed marriage family therapist with you. But can I just tell you guys, we have some guests coming up in the coming weeks that I can't even, I can't wait to tell Evelyn Kung, who we're having on in the show. Uh, it's it's going to flip you out who we're having coming on the show. I'm waiting. There's one guest that I already know uh, that everybody needs to clear the decks for November 5th. Um, but I'm waiting to hear back about which of three dates that another person is going to wow. be on the show. And it is big doings, you guys. I'm I'm like stunned that this person is going to be here on the show and answering questions. I'm, I'm like, somebody pinch me. So stop. Um, you know, I, can't, I can't wait. I can't wait. So uh, thank you, Evelyn. And thank all of you for being here. Uh, we're going to be back tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now.